Happy Monday, everyone, and thanks for joining us for our Week 6 recap episode on the Ferrari and Smith podcast. Week 6 brought about the first all-conference weekend of the 2022 season, and it did not disappoint. Georgia State and Georgia Southern gave us the game of the weekend. Coastal Carolina became bowl eligible for the third year in a row. James Madison continued their strong start to the season, improving to 5-0 and since joining the FBS level. Troy easily handled Southern Miss at home. Caden Sunbelt play brought some exciting football this weekend. What were your overall thoughts? Like I've been talking about all year, it's been really good to finally see these teams that we've been talking about playing other teams stack up against each other. And I think we had some surprises. We had some things we didn't expect to see based on our preview episode. And we had some teams kind of handle business per usual. But I think the biggest thing we proved is that a lot of these teams, they play their best brand of football. It doesn't matter who they're playing in the sun, but whether it's a team we had power ranked super high or super low, both sides of the ball play well and you play hard. And especially it looks like if you're at home too. You can play with any team in this league and anyone can get caught slipping. So I think we're going to see a lot more madness going forward this forward this year. Clearly, I think every team is going to have something on tape that every other team is going to have to watch out for. So I think it's just proving again and week in and week out that this conference is pretty deep and has every team has somebody to worry about for sure. Well, like we normally do on Mondays, we'll start with the Sunbelt scoreboard where we'll review all the results from around the conference in week six. Right after that, Caden and I will dive into some big matchups from the weekend It was a pretty short slate as all the teams in the conference played each other. So just five games on the slate. There were four teams that had buys, including South Alabama, Louisiana, Marshall, and one more that I'm blanking on at this moment. But Georgia State took on Georgia Southern in the first game of the day on Saturday. That game was in Atlanta, a heated rivalry game. Georgia State came in as a two and a half point favorite in this one, and they were able to cover that spread, winning 41 to 33. And don't look now, Georgia State. Is this starting to look like last year where they start 0-4 and then go on a run? They've won two in a row, beating Army last week and now taking down Georgia Southern. Georgia State now 2-4 and on the season. Southern drops to 3-3. Three and three. They've now lost three straight in that rivalry matchup. Arkansas State hosted James Madison. This game was on national television in Jonesboro. Uh, James Madison came in as 11.5-point favorite, and as the Dukes have done for most of the season, they continue to take care of business. They win this one easily. 42 to 20 James Madison now five and zero, and don't be surprised if you see them either right on the cusp or inside the top 25 this week Arkansas State meanwhile falls to two and four on the season here's the shocker of the weekend Texas State taking on App State and San Marcos Texas App came in as a 19 point favorite they trailed by a ton at one point it was as many as 27 they didn't score a single touchdown for the first 36 minutes of this game. They would fall 36-24 to 24 at Texas State. Now 1-1 one one in the state of Texas this year. Both of those teams, 3-3. Three and three. App State, after the hot start to the year, all the publicity now off to their worst start of the year, or of, of, the, of in recent memory, 3-3 uh, three and three at this point. Their worst start since 2014. Troy and Southern Miss. This is a Troy team, Caden, that you and I like a lot. Uh, They were playing a Southern Miss team that a lot of people, you know, in the Southeast like. But uh, Troy took care of business here. They were a seven-point favorite. They win by 17. Troy, four and two now. Southern Miss falls to two and three. And you have to imagine it's Troy's or South Alabama's West Division title to win. We're going to have a big game in a couple of weeks to kind of perhaps decide that West title. And then the last game of the weekend, ULM taking on Coastal Carolina. I've told you, Caden, crazy things happen down in the bayou, and it happened again here. Coastal Carolina scores 28 points in the first half and then held scoreless in the second half as ULM got right back into that game. ULM actually covering in this one despite Coastal winning 28-21. 
The lone good thing for the Shants in this game, they're now 6-0 bowl eligible early on in the season. First group of five team to become bowl eligible. And they've done that now for three years in a row. ULM, much like Texas State, showing that they can win football in that West Division and in the Sun Belt in general, making things difficult. They're now 2-4 and four on the season. There's only two undefeated teams left in the group of five. It continues to be James Madison and Coastal Carolina. Those two teams, they combined 11-0. and 0. Uh, Coastal Carolina became bowl eligible, as I mentioned, for the third straight season as they start 6-0 and 0 for the third year in a row. And with Cincinnati not looking great over the weekend and Coastal continuing to roll, there is a conversation that could start to be had in the next week or two that Coastal Carolina has a legitimate shot to perhaps be in a group of six bowl or a New Year's six bowl, rather, uh, but Coastal Carolina looking really good. But we'll get more into that game as we move on. Caden, well, let's jump into some of these game recaps from over the weekend. And we have to start with our game of the week on this podcast, and that was Georgia State versus Georgia Southern. As I mentioned, Georgia State came in. They were the favorite. This game was in Atlanta. I think both of both you and I felt really good about how Georgia Southern had looked early on this year, how they played, and our expectation going into this game. But Georgia State played one of their best games of the year. The rushing attack was incredible. Georgia State, they've now won three meetings in a row over Georgia Southern. Caden, Georgia State rushes for 335 yards in this game. Jam Williams and Tucker Gregg combined for 240 yards. They outrushed Georgia Southern 335 to 92. They mauled them on the ground. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing to start this game off was the first drives were both big touchdown drives, but they kind of let Darren Granger throw it a lot in the beginning of the game. So we obviously had Tucker Gregg on the podcast, and he was telling us, yeah, we're going to play our baron of football. We're going to run the ball a ton. And then next thing you know, I'm seeing them throw the ball a lot more than I thought. But then as soon as they got that rushing attack to complement the passing attack, it was really game over. And I think they got a big lead in this one, and I think, it got close at times, but when you're Georgia State and you have that rushing attack and you have those two dominant running backs that bring two different styles of running like Tucker Craig talked about, it's hard to stop once they're up. Once you get Georgia State with a lead and that rushing attack playing the way they played, that's a tough team to beat. So kudos to them for playing their best game of the year. And that rushing game that they've always been able to bank on really showed up for them in the second half of this game especially. A couple of superlatives about that rushing attack over or in, yet, in Saturday's game. Uh, it was the most rushing yards that they had had um, since it was actually, I apologize. It was actually the most rushing yards given up by Georgia Southern since they played number two Clemson in 2018, Tucker Gregg, 136 yards away from becoming the all-time leading rusher at Georgia state. You have to imagine there's a really good shot of that happening next weekend. Georgia state. Meanwhile, they've rushed for 534 yards over the last two games. This rushing attack looking as good as it gets. And you know, when we talk about things that didn't look great in this game, and, you know, unfortunately, we have him on the podcast on Wednesday, Kyle Van Trees, and he goes out and throws a career-high four interceptions in this one. Caden, I mentioned on our preview episode just some concerns with Van Trees's, um susceptibility to the interceptions at this point. You add the four into his total from earlier on in the year. He's now up to 11 through six games. He's thrown 13 touchdowns and for over 2,000 yards, but those interceptions are starting to really hurt Georgia Southern. Yeah, and especially with three of those four interceptions being in the first half, that really killed them. I feel like it didn't really let their offense to get going and allow them to get plays going and drives going. But I think you have to give your credit to the Georgia State secondary. We've been talking pretty highly about this secondary going into the year, and they were pretty opportunistic with the ball in the air. I think they had to earn some of those interceptions, and it all started with Quavion White on the first interception of the game really going and getting that one it's just him him typically getting the ball in his hands like he does per usual and I think his secondary teammates started to catch a rhythm with him as well but I think 
it was tough for them with Van Trees having those interceptions. I think that's what really limited him in the game. And then the, the last two drives of the game, he obviously throws an interception and then they have a fumble and that's it. So they did get into clawing distance of this game. They made it close, but ultimately what kept them behind to start off with was those interceptions and those turnovers. And then at the end, when they did have a chance to win it, that's what caused them. So they definitely have to look in the mirror and figure out how to clean some of that stuff up, stuff up if they're going to play teams that have great defenses that are opportunistic and can run and throw the ball as well as Georgia State did yesterday. It's also important for context to mention with Kyle Vantrese, he's thrown 284 pass attempts this year, which is actually 60 more than any other quarterback in the conference. So you expect with that quantity of passing you know, attempts, and that's part of the offense that Georgia Southern is looking to run, that you're going to have some interceptions, but that needs to be cleaned up moving forward. Georgia State, we mentioned the rushing attack, but this was also their second most yards of offense this year. Their most was against Charlotte. They had over 600 in that that you know big game. Um, they finished with 521 yards of total offense in this one. Uh, Darren Granger, who you mentioned early on, had a really good game. He did what he needed to do, threw for 186, a couple of touchdowns, rushed for 70 more, um, threw an interception, but he was responsible for over 250 yards. And if Georgia State can get that type of performance out of Darren Granger, along with the rushing attack of Jam Williams, Tucker Gregan, a good defensive uh, game, this is a Georgia State team that can beat any team in that East and any team in the Sun Belt. Yeah, and I think this team this week and really the past two weeks has looked a lot more like we expected them to look coming into the season. I mean, I, you could argue at a certain point they were the best 0-3, 0-4 team out there. But like I talked about before, Darren Granger, they got him going early, and I think that's going to be big for him. I think it caught me off guard. I think it caught Georgia Southern off guard as well. They're thinking going into this game, okay, we have to stop these running backs right now. We're playing downhill. But then the receivers got behind the defense a couple times. Darren Granger had a huge pass to Jamari Thrash for a touchdown, just a beautiful ball. And I think a lot of that had to do with him getting going early. And his receivers really stepped up to the occasion as well so this is probably the best their offenses looked the past two weeks I'm curious to see if they can keep building on it because they started in the hole and they started down bad during the season but if they can get some stuff going and put some wins together I think they're obviously going to be a tough team to play but it's more about what can they do as far as postseason play are they going to make that bowl game are they going to be able to contend for this east that's looking a little bit more up in the air this weekend than it did in weekends prior so we'll see how they play but you got to like what you're seeing out of them so far especially with a good little home crowd they had going as well forcing turnovers, running the ball well, throwing the ball well. Really great game for Georgia State, really class. Yeah, they forced five turnovers, those four interceptions. They also recovered a fumble, Georgia State did. One thing to clean up for Georgia State moving ahead, they had 10 penalties for 108 yards in this game, able to survive and win, but certainly against better teams in this conference, they're going to have to be careful. Well, let's move on. James Madison went to Jonesboro, their first ever game in the state of Arkansas in JMU, remaining undefeated with a 42-20 to victory this game never really in doubt JMU uh, neither team scored in that first quarter of this game Arkansas State actually took the first lead on James Madison all season long in game five uh, early on in that second quarter but um, James Madison becomes the third FBS program to or third program transitioning to the FBS to start five and oh UT uh, Arlington uh, back in 2012 or San Antonio rather in Florida Atlantic in 2004 um, like I mentioned, this game was scoreless after one quarter. We didn't really know how it was going to go. And then suddenly, um, James Madison puts up 598 yards of total offense in this game. They rush for over 200 uh, again. They've done that in four of their last five. Uh, 394 yards of passing was a season high for Todd Centeno. He threw for four more touchdowns. His touchdown interception ratio, 15 to one. Like, James Madison's offense figured it out in a big way, and Caden, they rolled much like you predicted. 
Yeah, I think it wasn't as in, in the beginning. It looked a little bit close. So I got to give Ark State their recognition. They kept it close in the beginning. They played some bend don't break football. They had a missed field goal, which was huge for them. So they got some big stops in the beginning. But like you talked about, that JMU offense has just been so overwhelming. And once they got rolling, they're a very hard team to stop. And I also give Ark State some recognition as well. They had no penalties, which is huge this game. So they did some good stuff. But like we talked about before in the pre-show, James Blackman gave you those two touchdowns. I told you that's what he's going to do. He's going to give you two touchdowns, maybe an interception, maybe not. But that's about all you're going to get and especially with Johnny Lang being hurt in this one he was limited to just returns so he wasn't a big part of their offense but JMU you need all your best players with when they're when you're playing them and you've been talking about this defense stopping the run they did a great job of that per usual again so I think JMU's just looking honestly like the most complete team in the Sun Bar right now when you look at both sides of the ball when they're both playing well and what they can do when they're both playing well because in the beginning of the game the defense had was playing well the offense wasn't but then once both of those sides of the ball started playing complimentary football and got on the same page it was it was over with with Arc State and it'll probably be over with a lot of teams that see JMU this year if they get both sides of the ball playing like that. Percy Ajay Obase had a career-high 158 yards on the ground, a couple of touchdowns. Podcast alum Chris Thornton had a career-high 173 yards receiving, moved over the 2,000 career receiving mark. He's in the top 10 in JMU history. JMU had 231 yards of total offense, more than Arkansas State in this one. They outgained them. Caden, you mentioned it. 204 to 20 on the ground. Um, and here's a crazy stat that it still baffles me to some extent. James Madison has held three of their five opponents this year under 20 yards rushing in a game. Uh, those are crazy numbers. No, that's it's absurd. And I think we talked about some of the identities of some of these teams in the conference, and a lot of them do like to run the ball. You got the Marshalls, and you obviously have the Georgia Southerns on the other side of that spectrum who are throwing the ball a lot. So I'm curious to see how JMU is going to stack up against some of these teams and the different offensive styles they have. Obviously, they face Georgia Southern next week. So them stopping the run in that game is not going to be super impressive if they do that. But that's a good thing to hang your hat, and I think it played off for them a lot. I think you talked about our podcast alum our podcast friend Chris Thornton I wanted to see him get more volume of catches in this game and he did and I think that's going to be even more of a threat when you have your running back running the ball so well you have Todd as a dual threat and then you have Chris Thornton who can really be a guy who gets nine ten catches a game someone you have to worry about constantly on the outside that is just such a dangerous offensive attack so everything's starting to come together for JMU it's not like it just started coming together for them they've had up and down weeks as far as how well they're playing like it's like are they going to play good or they're going to play really really good this week and they Played really, really well this week, and it's perfect timing with them getting into the heat of this conference schedule. So I think they're very excited out there, and I think Arkansas State, like we talked about before, still has some stuff to figure out. Here's one final stat on the strength of this JMU defense in this game. They give up 77 yards in the first half, 47 of those coming on one catch, and then the remaining 30 yards, it took Arkansas State 22 snaps to pick up 30 yards. JMU's defense just on another level in this game. I did want to give some props to James Blackman. He continues to have a strong season, 247 more yards to the air, threw for a couple more touchdowns. Caden, I don't. I looked at this today, and I was a little surprised when I saw this, but James Blackman actually has the third highest QBR rating in the Sun Belt right now. He's ahead of Carter Bradley at South Alabama, ahead of Grayson McCall, ahead of Kyle Van Treese. Uh, he's thrown nine touchdowns just to one interception, nearly 1,500 yards on the season. He's having a sneaky good year. He was inside my top five quarterbacks to begin this year, and he's and he's showing why so far this year for Arkansas State. Yeah, I've obviously criticized this team and what they have going on and what his ceiling is as far as a quarterback, but you have to give him credit. He's definitely gotten a lot more efficient this year. He hasn't turned the ball over as much, but like I talked about before, he just needs help. I think he's the most constant, consistent thing on their team right now. He's going to get you your yards. He's going to get the receivers involved, and he's going to get a couple touchdowns on the board, but it's about can you run the ball? Can you get the defense? If you're a defensive for Ark State, can you get – 
the other team's offense off the field and get him more opportunities to be able to cook and create more plays for you. But I just think right now it's a one man show over there as far as the offense goes. He's not getting a ton of help. We talked about how young his receiving core is and just the overall team. And he's that old veteran. So it is putting a lot on him to elevate their team to another level, but he's doing the best they can. And it's, it's, it's safe to say that if he wasn't playing the quarterback position for them, it would be a lot worse for them this season for sure. So kudos to him for playing well this year, but he needs some help badly. I think he also needs some help on defense as well. In this game, they give up 33 first downs to JMU. Uh, JMU is on the field for 36 minutes. That's tough uh, for a defense in this one. You also mentioned Johnny Lang. He was held to just being able to help uh, in that uh, kick returning game. Just one carry for one yards in this game. And Arkansas State, as we mentioned, a total of 20 rushing yards. Caden, this James Madison defense, particularly on the rush, is is on a historic pace right now. I mean, with how they've been performing early on in this year. No, I mean, they're playing well on all levels of the of the field, really. I mean, you look at them up front, they're not going to let you run the ball. Their defensive guys are staying in the backfield the entire game. Constant TFLs. If you look at the stat line, you just see all the guys on their teams have TFLs, all the defensive linemen, all the linebackers. And then when it gets to that third and long situation, because you can't run the ball, the secondary has been holding up very well. They're allowed to get pressure on the quarterback, make it uncomfortable for them. And then their back end guys are playing well. They've only really showed any sign of weakness this year in that first half of the App State game, which right now is looking like a lot more of an outlier than what they really are compared to all the rest of the quarters and halves and games of football they've played. So if you're JMU right now, you could probably get less production out of either side of the ball and still be fine. But for the time being, they're getting great production out of both sides. So the defense is playing well and the offense is playing well. But it looks like even if we, we see one of these games in the future where maybe Todd and the offense aren't doing as well, the defense is going to be there and vice versa. So they're playing that complimentary ball you like to see. And as a defense, man, you have to love what you're seeing from JMU. Okay, before we move on to this next game, uh, I don't want this next statement to be misconstrued here because Caden and I really like what James Madison is doing so far this season, but they're still undefeated. And Caden, I made a comment earlier on this year that James Madison running the table or being super strong in this East was worst case scenario for the Sun Belt because they would be taking down some of the best teams. Uh, to me, that is playing out in a huge way right now as James Madison is on the verge of the top 25 uh, and I think it really just goes against maybe some of those archaic rules about jumping from FCS to FBS. This is a JMU team that would be in contention for a uh, New Year's Six Bowl game, uh, easily a bowl game, um, but they're not right now. And to me, that is trouble for the Sun Belt. Yeah, we talked about it. You kind of predicted this one going forward. I think they're playing. I'm still rooting for them, obviously. I love Chris Thornton and that mentality they have of trying to still prove that they're the team, the dominant team to join this conference and take over. And they're doing, they're definitely showing it right now. They're obviously not playing for any type of championship or bowl game. But I like to, like I've been saying, I like to say they're playing for that people's championship right now. They're playing for the street cred right now. They're playing for, okay, you know that we might not have the postseason results that we can show, but we're showing y'all right now that if it was if it did come down to that, if we did have to play in a bowl game, if we did have to play for the conference championship, y'all know what would happen just based on what we've done to everybody else. So you got to give a shout out to them and you have to definitely wonder if you're letting teams join the conference in the future, whether it's any conference, you're going to see a lot of changes in a lot of conferences moving forward in the next couple of years. 
should you just allow those teams to play? Because it's very clear that teams can show up and make a difference fast. And when you have a team like JMU who has such a strong winning culture, I think it was kind of, the, it was it was written. You, you No one expected them to do bad this year. I think out of all the teams that joined the conference, they had the most winning pedigree and the most to work with as far as being good. But obviously, them being this good is amazing. But I think people honestly are more looking at their schedule, this Louisville game coming up in the next couple of weeks, and how that's going to shake out for them as far as their rankings versus some of these conference opponents. Because, I mean, they've run through every conference opponent so far. They have Southern, they have Marshall, and they have to play a game at Louisville. So I'm really looking forward to that game. I obviously, I'm looking forward to their conference games as well. But at the time being, man, you have to say, I'm looking forward to JMU playing the most talented team possible right now because they've shown they can play against just about anybody. Also want to take a moment to shout out all the JMU fans that flooded our Twitter account over the weekend with follows. Uh, so thank you for following us. Definitely uh, excited to have you along on this journey. Let's move on to this third game, and that was Troy Southern Miss. Caden, this was a game that we thought could be really close. We thought it could be really good. Uh, and suddenly Troy's uh, defense kind of took this game over. Troy picking up their first ever win over Southern Miss uh, at the vet. Caden, uh, you had a conspiracy theory in Friday's episode about who Troy would start in this game at quarterback. And uh, that conspiracy theory rings true. Jared Jagey gets the start and has an OK game. But you suddenly have to question, is Jarrett Dagey the starter the rest of the year for the Trojans? Yeah, based on what I was talking about before this, I was definitely prophesizing a much bigger game from him. But the Southern Miss defense, don't get it twisted. They're still a very good group. I know they lost this game, but their defense is great. But those two interceptions are a little bit concerning. And I don't think Dagey played as electric as I was hyping up to be in the first podcast, talking about his numbers in the Big 12 and things like that. But you talked about it, man. Troy's defense is stealing the show right now. I mean, them forcing those turnovers the way they did, stopping the run the way that the way they did. It was a phenomenal game. And they really made a freshman quarterback look like a freshman quarterback, which is what you want to see out of an experienced defense like them. So it's looking right now like Troy's defense. If you're not coming in there with an experienced quarterback who knows how to run things and isn't intimidated by how many straight playmakers you have on every level of the ball, that's where the negotiations start with Troy. If you're not going to come into that game with an experienced offensive coordinator, experienced quarterback who has things figured out, who has shown that they can move the ball and do well against most teams, that's going to just be a hard day for you. So shout out to Troy's defense, man. I think obviously Daggy we talked about wasn't playing the best game, but their offense did have a good day regardless. And their defense allowed them to get the ball a ton just because of the turnovers they had in the time of possession. So they controlled this one through and through. And I think a lot of that had to do with their defense. Four total turnovers forced by Troy's defense, three INTs and a forced fumble. Um, they held USM's rushing attack uh, to, you know, almost zero in this game. It wasn't very strong. Um, I thought this was interesting too, Caden, as you dig into the stats, Troy had eight TFLs in this game. Uh, they've now had 29 in their last three games. To me, this feels like a Troy defense that could still have another level to get to, and that has to be really scary if you're a team in the West right now. Yeah, I think as far as another level for them, it's all going to be about schematic and how they choose to attack teams because it looks like they have the personnel. The 11 guys that they're putting out there, they play with their hearts on their sleeves. They play for each other. It's very clear that they're a tight-knit, experienced defensive unit that no matter what happens, if it's the worst coverage possible, if it's the worst play call possible, they're going to bail you out because they always have each other's backs and they're playing so well. I think they have two of the strong the two of the best safeties in the conference right now. You obviously have Carlton in the middle and all those guys up front just muddying it up for the run game. I think top down, if you look secondary linebackers up front, I think it's JMU and Troy right now are looking like two of the best defenses in the conference right now. So you have to tip your calf off to that defense. And if they do get better, it's going to be very, very scary, especially for these teams on the West that aren't looking as strong offensively as some of the teams in the East. I think the other thing, Caden, that you and I have spent a lot of time talking about on this podcast was wanting to see this rushing attack for Troy start to emerge and now for three weeks in a row, they've rushed for over 100 yards. They didn't do that in the first three games of the year. 
this Troy team is really rounding into as complete of a football team as we've seen in the Sun Belt. And you have to imagine Troy and South Alabama are the two teams to beat in the West currently. Yeah, and we talk about every team. If you look at every team who's winning right now in the Sun Belt, they all have a different formula that they're using. JMU's formula is very clearly, okay, we're going to be really good on offense and really good on defense. They look unstoppable right now. Troy's formula is looking really good. It looks like, okay, you're going to have to have a good quarterback, like I talked about before, on offense, getting things going, and you're going to have to get by that defense. And if you do that, then you're also going to have to stop their passing attack that's looked good. And then if you want the icing on the cake, if you want to really round it all out, if you stop this running game, if they get up, if Troy gets up and you have to stop Kamani Vidal and DK Billingsley at the end of the game running the ball, it's going to be hard for you. It's going to be a tall task. So I like the little formula they have right now. If they have all of those pieces of their game going, like we talked about, the defense is going, pass game is going and that rushing attack just takes them to a whole nother level i think they have one of the best formulas as far as winning right now and it seems like they have it figured out as far as their brand of football and how to win and a lot of that has to do with getting up early getting those receivers involved early getting the defense up early and then having that rushing attack just kill you at the end of the game okay now i've tried to be nice about southern miss all season long <laughs> And I have gotten so much flack for it about how Southern Miss is a really good football team and that they're going to compete for a West Division title. Uh, And to me, this game further exposed Southern Miss. I think this is a Southern Miss team, in my opinion, that is a year or two away. I think in a year or two, they're going to be very good. I think right now they are not in that upper echelon, despite what some people might think. Um, but in this game, I think the biggest thing, the biggest question I have about Southern Miss is what is their identity on offense? We knew that Southern Miss was going to run the ball well. We knew there was going to be some inconsistency at the quarterback position, but suddenly there's inconsistency at the quarterback position. Wilkie throws for three interceptions. He's sacked five times and they can't get the running game going. They're really not getting much on offense right now. And you can have a really good defense, but if you can't score in this league, you're not going to win football games. And that's why I've been a little hesitant about Southern Miss all year is they just haven't proven the ability to put up big numbers or really be able to score consistently in games. Yeah, some of the similar issues we were talking about with ULL coming into the year when they had their struggles with the quarterback carousel that they were running and also not being able to run the ball. So I think you're seeing that right now a little bit with USM. I think the quarterback obviously is a younger guy. It's going to take him a little bit longer of a ways to get going and get his confidence in this conference, especially as a freshman. But I think you talked about it, man. If you can't run the ball and you have a quarterback that's inexperienced, that's just a recipe for disaster. Frank Gore gets 15 carries in this one for only 67 yards. And then you look at the rest of the team, no one else is getting carries. No one else is getting touches. And when they do, they're not doing much with it. So I think they do have to figure out their offensive identity and they have to do it fast because like I just talked about with Troy, there's a lot of teams in this conference right now who have their entire identity as a team figured out, defense, special teams, and offense. Them, they have their defense figured out. They know that. But as far as the offensive side of the ball, you have to have all your P's and Q's in this conference to really want to be good because you have to be a complete team. But I'm not counting them out yet i think they have a their next couple games they play texas state and they play arc state would you be surprised if they beat those two teams i know i wouldn't be i'm interested to talk about those ones coming up so yes you could say it's it's over for southern miss this year they do have a lot of stuff to figure out clearly but i think they have some room in this schedule and they have some ways a ways to go as far as navigating through the sunbelt and they might be able to figure some of this stuff out and get some wins yeah i'm not saying that it's over for southern miss i'm just saying that i don't see them as a true contender in the west with how strong that troy and south alabama Fair. are looking Now, here's what I will say. I think that Southern Miss has a chance to play spoiler in the West. I think that they are a team that when they strap it up, they, because of the strength of that defense, they make things really difficult on opposing offenses. They, you know, really did it to Troy again in this game. 
Um, so to me, they are a team that could really make things interesting. I'm not counting them out from pulling off some sort of a big upset uh, the rest of the way. I just don't think that they're true title contenders. And I think that's a that's a fair statement. I don't really think you can argue with that. So let's move on um, from that game and talk about Texas State versus App State. And Kane, this was a huge disappointment. <sighs> I know you're an App State guy, and I'm sure you're frustrated. <laughs> I'm frustrated for you because... I just want to know what happened to the App State team that we saw at the beginning of this year. What has gone wrong? Um, App State was a 19-point favorite in this game. They lose by 12. This game was never really in question. Um, Texas State snapped a six-game losing streak against the Mountaineers. And one shout-out I, I did want to give for Texas State, they brought in 25,000 fans to this game. It was the seventh-largest crowd um, in San Marcos history. Uh, to me, this felt a little bit like Texas State Super Bowl, and their fans clearly came out and and supported the Bobcats, and I think that's really good to see for Texas State. Yeah, it's great to see for them. And I, for, as far as App goes, I really don't know where to start with them. You were asking what what's going on, what why do they look like this right now? And I think everyone's obviously having those same questions as far as the fan base and just everyone in the Sun Belt right now. I think you talked about their start to the season. They had some high highs and some low lows, and I think that really concerned me. And I think a lot of their high highs shadowed some of those low moments. I mean, the UNC game, their defense looked bad, but it was kind of covered up by how the offense played and was able to come back in that fourth quarter, like Chase Bryce having that game and winning awards and getting notoriety. And then you have college game day on top of that after the A&M win. You have that Troy game that we all keep saying on this podcast should have been a loss for them, but they get the Hail Mary that kind of distracts it away from them. You could really look at all of these games other than the Citadel and say absolutely had a very, very good chance of losing them. So I think that all just came to light in this game. And you talked about that crowd they had at Texas State. And you talk about just their team as a whole. They looked like they wanted it more. I mean, they played harder than App State. And every facet of the game, they were better at them at, at. And I think it was just too sloppy of a brand of football. The tackling was an issue. There was just so many issues for App State. The penalties were an issue as well. There was just top to bottom so many problems. And if you look at the box score of this one and you didn't watch it, it's don't let it fool you. This game was early very soon. Uh, Texas State got out to a 24-0 lead. App State scores a field goal in the first half to make it 24-3 going into the halftime. So if you're watching this one, you're like, okay, well, maybe App State shows up in the second half and rallies and does what they have to do and plays like their normal nope. self to maybe get back into this game. Wrong. First drive, App State takes it all the way down the field and you have that pick six return for 94 yards for a touchdown. For me, watching back home as a viewer, that was it. That was the ball game. And I think App State did try their best to claw back into this one. But like we talked about with Georgia Southern, like they were just too far into a hole. They shot themselves in the foot too many times to come back into this one. But this was just on a completely other extreme for them. I know the fan base is up in an <laughs> uproar right now. Obviously, it's, it's a tough fan base. You lose a game, you're going to hear from it. And I just, you got to wonder going forward about this team. How many talks are they going to have about their identity going forward? What kind of defense they want to be? What kind of offense they want to be? Because it was just it was just a bad day. It was a bad start for them. It was crazy early on in the season. The fans were jumping into the duck pond. And now you have to imagine that Coach Clark might get tossed into the duck pond at some point with how this team is playing at this <laughs> point. But, you know, I think the biggest thing with App State is just injuries. And that's been a storyline over the last several weeks. Uh, Nate Noel did come back and play well in this game. He had 10 receptions in this game. Um, but Cameron Peoples misses and, and Wells misses and Harrington I've officially seen was announced uh, out for the season. We've kind of known that for a while, but I hadn't seen anything uh, officially announced. But I did see that in one of the releases recently. Cobb didn't play for most of the second half with an injury. Caden Robinson goes out with an injury. So uh, App can't seem to get healthy right now. And this team that looks so electric um, early on in the season really, to me, feels like a shell of itself. Uh, you mentioned if you hadn't watched this game, you'd say, man, Chase Bryce had an outstanding game. He throws for nearly 400 yards, three touchdowns, and he did have a good game. But 
a, a majority of those uh, yards and touchdown passes came in kind of mop-up time after they were trailing 30-3 to with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Um, this was just, you know, a really good game for Texas State, and I almost want to talk about I want to talk about them a little bit here. They scored six of their ten drives. Um, they held uh, App without a touchdown for the first thirty-five minutes of this game. We knew that the secondary was pretty good for Texas State, but really, it was a very holistic game for that defense. Yeah, we can keep talking about App State forever. I mean, one more thing I want to touch on is just you talked about those fans jumping in the duck pond. You jump on the duck pond when you win close games. And the, I think that was, again, just another distraction. These close games that they played early kind of hid some of the deficiencies, all of the, the hype of ha- jumping into the duck pond and having that notoriety. The social media was up. The buzz was up. So I think that had a lot to do with some of the mistakes that we saw in this game. We've seen at other certain points of the season for App State, but it all really just culminated in a bad way. But no, you have to give it to Texas State. I mean, Lane Hatcher played a fearless game. He had an interception on the very first drive, but after that, played a very efficient brand of football. I think the App State pass rush was not able to get home and I think he was allowed to sit back there and really do what he wanted to as far as a quarterback running this offense kind of looked like a seven on seven I kind of got some flashbacks when we were playing Western Kentucky just how comfortable he looked in the pocket he looked like Bailey Zappi back there in the Boca Raton Bowl but I think have to give him their credit they wanted it more you saw after the play Texas State was talking trash they were felt like they were going to win in this game they were in the driver's seat the whole time and they were playing like it and they carried it and we talked about that secondary was playing well but they played well up front too I mean if you're keeping App State to 41 yards rushing that's not an easy thing to do. Not many teams have done that throughout the course of the past five years, the course of history. So you have to give it to their defense. Their defense played lights out in this one. They played with confidence. They played with swagger. And they just they just brought it to App State, I think, on both sides of the ball. They didn't feel like they were going to lose this game. They had their crowd, home crowd going. And I think this proves that Texas State, if you look at some of these teams in the Sun Bowl, if you play your best brand of football, you can compete and play and win in any game. And I think Texas State proved that in this one. If you're at home and you're not on your P's and Q's, if you have 11 penalties, if you're not running the ball well, if you're just not in sync teams like texas state can beat you and i think they proved that so kudos to them and i think going forward it's going to be interesting to watch texas state play at home the rest of the year a little context there on that app state rushing attack you mentioned the 41 yards on the ground uh that was actually uh two more yards than uh houston christian actually had against texas state they had 39 two weeks ago so uh, this is an App State team that early on in the year, they were rushing for 200 yards with ease. They look like a shell of themselves. This whole team really does right now. You have to hope that App State can get healthy. I think because of what James Madison has done in that East, there actually still is a pathway for App State to play for a title this year, uh, which is crazy to think. And again, that kind of goes back to some of that home wrecking scenario that James Madison has created. Um, but a couple of things to watch there in that game. But let's move on. Coastal Carolina, ULM. Um, Coastal Carolina winning 28 to 21. Uh, Caden, this one really did feel like one of those bad beat games. Coastal Carolina was uh, hot early. They score 28 first half points and then don't score again. They do become bowl eligible. They snap a two game losing streak, which surprised me in Monroe. We know how hard of a place that is to play. Um, they've now extended their winning streak to nine games, which is the second longest in the country, trailing Clemson, who beat Boston College over the weekend. I think the big thing for me was how strong Coastal's defense was in this game. They get Two big fourth down stops inside the red zone in the second half. They force a couple of fumbles, uh, and that was the difference in this contest. Yeah, I talked about going into this game. I was kind of throughout a challenge for Coastal's defense to play their first complete game of the season to really have go for that shutout, go for that one score game. And this game just got started off with so many fireworks. I mean, if you look at the first five drives of the game, it was touchdown drives for each team. It was just a, a 21 to 14 game to start off with with Coastal with the lead. But after that, they gave up that one first half touchdown drive in the very, very first half to ULM. Shout out to some receivers named Tyrone Howell, I believe, had an amazing one handed catch on that drive. And that was that's just one of those plays that is what it is. Your, your guy made a great play 
you give that up. But then the rest of the game, Coastal's defense was lights out. So it was really good to see them win in that fashion because their defense has been up and down this year. They haven't played as good as they have in the past, but good enough to win. But I think in this one, it's safe to say that they won them the game because Coastal's offense just didn't get going in that second half and their defense put their hard hats on, brought their lunch pails and really played a complete second half and kept ULM out the end zone. And that's ultimately why they won the game. Here's the thing I didn't expect in this game. We've talked all season long about Grayson McCall's play. He has an okay game. Throws another touchdown. He's now thrown one in 19 straight games, but he was outplayed by Chandler Rogers in this game, who was 27 for 30, threw a pair of touchdowns, 279 yards. Caden, uh, at one point in this game, to start the game, he completed 19 consecutive passes. Um, and if you add the final pass from their last game, 20 consecutive passes, a school record uh, over a two-game period. Uh, he played really well for ULM. No, it's just like I was talking about with Texas State. I mean, if you're not on your P's and Q's in this league, it doesn't matter what team you play. It could be ULM, it could be Texas State, it could be Arc State, any of these teams that you look a little bit down upon. If you have to go to their house, play at home, and you're going to play a game like Coastal where you have 13 penalties for 130 yards, your offense is stagnant from time to time, your defense has given up some explosive plays in the beginning of the game, any team can compete in this league. So ULM definitely proved it in this one. Rodgers had a big game wasn't as effective on the ground as he normally is, but still was very effective in the air. His receivers made some big plays from, and I think Grayson, like we talked about the maestro of this offense doing th all things right, despite you wanting to see him play a better game as a coastal fan base, as a coastal, just anyone involved in the program, it was good to see him not be as efficient, like I said before, and have the defense step up. So I think coastal, like I said, from the beginning, all of their wins look very different. It's very interesting watching their ups and downs of their year, but they're doing the most important thing, which is winning football games. So right now I just think, Compared to JMU, who's undefeated and obviously blowing every team out, Coastal is really just proving and making themselves tougher and tougher every game by having to win it in slightly different ways. just a little bit different, whether it's keeping a team from scoring at the end, having to outscore them in like a game like Georgia Southern. They're showing they can do it in all set ways, shapes, and fashions. So I think for Coastal, you're obviously still feeling good 6-0. and You're ready for a bowl game, and you're just trying to keep rolling now and hopefully avoid slipping up at one point because it looks like they know how to win. They have the formula to win, and I think it's exciting for them right now going forward. And you obviously want to see a little bit better play versus a team like ULM, but the rest of their schedule, I think, is going to be very fun to watch. A couple more quick thoughts in this game. ULM's defense holding Coastal Carolina scoreless for the entire second half. As I mentioned, they actually snapped a streak of six consecutive games for Coastal going over 30 points. Uh, ULM's defense forcing four three and outs in this game, three in the second half. Uh, they played really well. I think the other thing, though, that hurt ULM was they've been really good in the red zone this year, actually 11 for 11 in terms of scoring when they get inside the red zone. Just two to five in this game and in a tight game, that was the difference here. Yeah, I mean, that's where the game is won and lost. I think if you look back to the ULL game that they played or the, even the ULL and South Alabama game, once you get in that red zone, once you're going for it on fourth down, you have to have your best plays and have to do your best stuff up front. And I think that kind of hindered them a little bit. I think they played some really good ball up front as far as running the ball, protecting the quarterback. But I think once you get on those crucial fourth down and red zone stops, that just elevates to a whole nother level. And I think ULM just didn't quite match the energy they had all game in the open field versus when they were in the red zone. So you got to look for them moving forward to kind of clean up some of their third down, fourth down, calling some of their red zone playbook, maybe switch it up a little bit because it looked a little bit predictable. Coastal looked pretty ready for everything they had to throw as far as them getting into the red zone. What well, was largely a good week six uh, in the Sun Belt. I know we've got more exciting games to come uh, in the weeks ahead, including next week, some midweek football on national television. Uh, Caden, a lot of good performances from players around the league this weekend. And I, as it feels like every week, I, I don't like to be you to have to pick two players, the offensive and defensive player. But uh, go ahead and give us who your Smith picks are of the week. 
Yeah, picks of the week is never easy. The Sun Belt never makes it easy on me for sure. We've had a lot of great performances throughout the year. And this week, if you look at the offensive side of the ball, some receivers had some great days. Some running backs really did some good numbers for their teams. But I hate to do it. And we feel like we talk about this guy so much on the podcast, but you have to give it to JMU quarterback Todson Teo. I mean, 394 yards in the air, four touchdowns, no interceptions. And the biggest thing for me was just four rushes for 10 yards. You saw how explosive he is in the run game this year and how important that is for their team. But if you look at this game, just turned into a pocket passer, didn't have to do too much and was really efficient for this team. So I think if you're JMU fans, you like to see that you're able to win games with your dual threat quarterback, maybe just being a one dimensional pocket passer if he has to. It's obviously better for his body, keeps him getting less hits. And also it's just a great thing to see as far as a defense having to defend both ways. You can't really favor one or the other if you're going to have such a good pocket play from him. So got to give the offensive player to Todd Santale. And on the defensive side of the ball, had to go with Coastal Carolina linebacker JT Killen. He was in the stat line in every way possible. This is like one of those games in basketball when you see someone gets steals, blocks, three-point shooting. They're just doing every single thing they can for the team. He had a Russell Westbrook-esque day on the defensive side of the ball. Had 13 tackles, one sack, one TFL, one pass breakup and two fumble recoveries. I mean, that's just a mouthful right there if you're a defensive player. Being around the ball constantly was huge for him. Want to give a shout out to Antavius Lane at Georgia, Georgia State this weekend. Had 15 tackles, 12 solos in a TFL. That's a really hard thing to do with the safety position, especially. So shout out to him and Tars Jones as well for JMU. Talked about that run-stopping effort. He had 13 tackles as well. One sack and two and a half TFLs. But you got to give it to JT Killen. He just killed the game from the beginning to the end. Was around the football way too much not to give it to him. And was a big part of why Coastal won that game. So those are my players of the week and my picks of the week. I think you could say that JT Killen killed it this weekend. And basically, like you said, to me, that stat line was the football equivalent of a triple-double, an outstanding performance for him and a big reason why Coastal was able to survive that tough test against ULM. Well, that'll do it for our Week 6 recap episode. Sunbelt play is fully underway, and the race for the East and West titles is really heating up with several marquee matchups looming in the weeks ahead. A quick reminder that we'll be back with another episode on Wednesday of this week where we'll interview... Troy offensive lineman Austin Stidham. That was a really fun interview that we're looking forward to you guys getting the chance to see um, as he kind of talks about his impressive six-year run in the Sun Belt. Well, we want to say thanks so much for listening. We both had a blast with the episode of the Ferrari and Smith podcast. We certainly hope you did too. If you did, take a moment and subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you'll never miss an episode. Also, leave us a review or rating if you like the show. It really helps us out. Lastly, we mentioned we got a lot of love over the weekend on Twitter, but if you haven't jumped on the Ferrari and Smith train on Twitter, uh, make sure to give us a follow for all the latest Sunbelt football news and notes. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.